he literally, he would, you know, he would set up on his knee, you know, 10 to 15 yards away, 20 yards away, 30 yards away, 40 yards. I'd have these intercontinental ballistic missiles coming at me and you'd, you'd hear the ball just whizzing in and I'm sure he broke every single one of my fingers at one point. Every sports fan has an opinion. Well, these are ours. Ours. Welcome to Brock and Pep's Unsportsmanlike Convo. And here are your hosts, Brock Fleming and Pep Cariotti. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. December 1st, 7 p.m. Eastern Time. And I have on my line right now, I got Pep Cariotti, my co-host, who has a little bit more time tonight because the Steeler game got pushed. So for those who are trying to race us through, we got another day before the Steelers play. Pierre, how you doing, bud? I'm good, man. I miss the days where we like every time I see that picture of you and I at the RA Center, just to kind of it kind of hits me, you know. It gets uh it I, I can't wait for those days to return so we can get together and actually uh record in person, which I always find just a little bit more interesting, you know. But uh, otherwise, I'm good. Yeah, no, I I agree. Everything in person. I mean, especially now, everybody's we're getting into the Christmas time. Everybody's right. already anticipating whether or not they're going to see family. They're trying to make plans. I'm trying to organize both my parents and my in-laws and trying to figure yeah. out who we can see, who's comfortable with us visiting, all that kind of stuff. So uh, it's really that season where you, you sort of crave uh, seeing people. And, and when you're limited, it's it's uh, it sucks. It's going to be a very interesting Christmas, but I'm sure we're all, we'll all make do where the finish line is whatever that may be, however anyone wants to define it, seems to be in sight. So everybody, just we just got to bear down. Let's get through this winter and move on. But uh, anyway, we got a loaded show, B. Yes, guy. Huge show. We got an awesome guest today. Obviously, we both yes. have a, a history with this gentleman. Um, some more pleasant than others because he put me through the ringer a few times and, uh, <laughs> and, and took me to it. But um, are we getting right into it or do you have anything else but, you want to say? No, nah, you know what? I, there's, I need to get this off my chest because I, I we didn't talk a lot about it. But let's, let's get right into it. All right. Well, hey. We got an award-winning strength coach and best-selling author, previously owned the Athletic Conditioning Center in Ottawa. So if anybody who's been an athlete in Ottawa, you know the ACC. And if you're in my generation, you've probably worked out there um, and left crawling. Um, he's a staple in the Ottawa training community. And, you know, back at the ACC, I mean, I used to train guys there with uh, like Pat Woodcock and Scott Gordon and uh, the Homewoods and Sean Gifford and... Uh, Kevin Gagno, to name a few, like all these guys that have aspirations or of playing professionally trained with this gentleman at the ACC. Um, he's trained athletes in the Olympics, the NHL, the NFL, the CFL, the NCAA, youth sports, you name it. He was a strength coach with the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, he's now the owner of Strength Tech Fitness and Wellness Consultants and most recently starred in a mini documentary called Bigger Than Ben that you can find on YouTube. And uh, I may use star a little bit loosely, but uh, if you do go to episode three, this is my favorite part of that mini documentary. Episode three at 14 minutes and 52 seconds in, this guy, Ben Roethlisberger, is in his driveway and he's throwing the ball around. His driveway is the size of a football field. And there is our guest, Lauren Goldenberg, wearing his Ottawa U Gigi's hoodie as proudly as can be done. Welcome, Lauren, to the show. Hey guys, that's a great intro. Thanks, uh, <laughs> thanks for having me. 
<laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> well, you're definitely a guy that we wanted to have on as soon as we started doing these live shows. I'm like, we got to get Lauren on. Like this, you have such a history through sports. It's it's kind of ridiculous. And and this intro doesn't even do you justice for the amount of things that you've accomplished in your life. It's crazy. Well, I've been. Um, I used to say, think I was lucky, and I think it was just maybe God's way of like looking down on me and taking care of me because every time I've either you know, gotten fired or moved on from one contract to another, it's not too long where another one comes up. So I'm, I'm really kind of blessed with the opportunities that I've had in my life. And uh, it's, you know, I, I, I couldn't play at the highest level that I would have liked to have played for as long as I would have liked to. But, uh, you know, being involved in sports this way um, allows me to, to, to stay in it, obviously. Why don't you give us just a quick uh, synopsis of your childhood. Like, what did you do? What sports did you play? How did you really fall in love with sports? Um, I, you know, I, I started playing hockey when I was young, you know, playing like ball hockey out, out in the streets with, uh, with my, my buddies in, uh, in Ottawa when I was young. And, uh, I, uh, I started playing, it wasn't competitive hockey. It was house league hockey. And we knew really, really soon that I was not going to ever play competitive hockey it just wasn't in my in my DNA, but I, I I mean I love playing hockey. I used to you know be outside uh, you know for hours and hours up at the rink. I used to live on Morissette in the west end of Ottawa, so oh, in that cool. Caldwell Park there was an outdoor rink, and gosh, we were we were there for hours. And um, anyways, I could not you know take my eyes off the puck and got hit a number of times. So I was not a good puck handler, but uh, over time, I, I got involved in football. I, I played football at Laurentian High School for a, for a couple of years, and uh, I transferred to J.S. Woodsworth um, because we'd moved and played football there uh, for a couple of years and, and, and just loved, you know, loved the game of football, loved it because of the, of the, uh, the physical uh, component of it. The, the need to train. I was never the biggest guy, but I, I kind of made up for, you know, my lack of size with my, my, um, my drive in the weight room, let's say. And, um, and then after I, I finished at, uh, at, uh, at JS playing football, I ended up at Ottawa U. And uh, it was a dream to play for the GGs. And I, uh, I actually, it was, you know, to make a long story short, I, I was working at a theater in Ottawa with a guy by the name of Rick Smitch, who was a former heck crate spinner. Yeah. Uh, quarterback, Ottawa, you, um, you know, hell of a guy. He kind of took me under his wing and mentored me when I was still in high school. He was in his gosh, second or third year at Ottawa, you, and I trained with him every single day. It was my dream to go to Ottawa. U. Joe Moss was the head coach when I finally got there. And, um, uh, went to Ottawa U and I was practicing as a high school player. So I was in grade 13 at the time. And, and I got invited because Joe Moss had come in late. He didn't have a big recruiting class that year. So I, I knew a lot of the guys from Ottawa U from Stony Mondays back in the day also. Oh, baby. And, <laughs> hey. and, and, and Rick, Rick had put a, a good word in with me with coach Moss. So I, I got to do all their spring practice. I was the only high school kid at spring practice at Ottawa U and was able to kind of establish something there. And, um, you know, went to the training camp that year, you know, was shocked that I'd gotten that far. Cause I, I didn't really think I was that good and I was going to 
stick with the team and we were getting ready to start the regular season. And I went down with an injury and, and uh, missed our last exhibition game. I was a little disappointed about it because I really felt that I should have been in there. And I kind of had it out with uh, Dick Adams was our DB coach back then, former Ottawa Rough Rider. And I just decided I didn't like the way the conversation was going and I kind of walked away. And, uh, and it was, a, it was, it was, a day doesn't go by where I don't think about that. Not a lot of people know that story. Really? But, uh, it, I thought it was kind of uh, an interesting way. So I've always had Ottawa U in my, in my heart and football's been, I've always said I've been a, I've worked in the National Hockey League for 25 to 30 years, but I've always really been a, a, a football guy stuck in hockey. And, uh, you know, so I'm, I'm pretty passionate about football. Yeah, actually, part of the intro I was going to say is that you're likely the biggest CFL fan in the greater Pittsburgh area as well. But uh, it's funny you bring up Rick Schmitz. Great guy. This guy coached at uh, Wolf Laurier for years after. And I remember when I was coming out, getting ready for university, I was uh, I went down. Jesse Palmer and I went down to a quarterback receiver camp at Wolf Laurier, hosted by Schmitz um, and uh, and a couple of other coaches. And. You've known me, Lauren, for a long time. I've always been built like a lineman, but yeah. I was playing slot back at the time. And at the end of that camp, it was a week-long camp. Rick pulled me aside and said, Big Daddy, that's where he gave me the nickname. He said, Big Daddy, don't ever let anybody put you offensive line, not with those hands. I said, You got it. <laughs> I hit Ottawa on the ride home, I was an offensive lineman already. Like it was, <laughs> I had made the all-star team and I got switched right away to offensive line. And yeah. uh, that was history. And even now, every time I see him now, he's like, I can't believe you switched. I'm like, yeah, what else am I supposed to do? But it was funny. And he had the, the faith in me at that point. Have you, ever, um, have you ever caught a football? Have you ever caught a ball from him? At those at that camp, it would have. Yeah. But I mean, that was this wasn't the same Rick Schmidt that you had practiced with way back uh, at JS Woodworth, which I don't even think exists anymore, does it? No, no, it does not exist. <laughs> this is an Ottawa history episode right here. Yeah, I was going to say, Rick Rick Smitch is the reason why I can even catch a football these days because he literally, he would, you know, he would set up on his knee, you know, 10 to 15 yards away, 20 yards away, 30 yards away, 40 yards. I'd have these intercontinental ballistic missiles coming at me and you'd, you'd hear the ball just whizzing in and I'm sure he broke every single one of my fingers at one point. And then after that, I could catch a ball from anybody if I could catch a ball from that yeah. Uh, I, I believe it. I mean, he still had a cannon, and he was again, oh. much older, much past his yeah. prime. The time yeah. I, I yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, been yeah. there. So okay, so that's your football fan at that point. Now you are a very big advocate of the Canadian football game. I am, and I, I mean, I'm... you're down in Steeler Country. You know, you're working with some pretty big names in that organization that we'll touch upon a bit later. But um, what is it about the Canadian Football League? that appeals to you so much? I think, well, I think it's because that's what I grew up on. That's all I knew, okay. right? When yeah. I started watching, when I started watching CFL football in the early 70s, that's all that we really saw. And um, I just kind of developed a passion for it, if you will. I remember my dad, you know, getting me some football cards. And I remember the, the very first card I think I ever saw was, a running back by the name of Bill Simons, who wore number 33 for the Argonauts. And Bill Simons was this big, tough guy. Like, he looked like a tough football player. They wore blue. It looked cool. And they were called the Argonauts. Like, what a cool name. Like, I thought, Argonauts. Like, 
you don't hear that. You know, there's Ravens, like there's Carlton, there's Baltimore, there's, you know, everybody's got double names, but nobody actually is, until I found out later, there is another Argonauts down here. There's a Florida team that have that have the name Argonauts. And I just thought that was yeah, I didn't know that. such a cool name. And, uh, you know, Joe Theismann, Mike Eben, Jim Corrigal, all those guys. I just got, I don't know why I got connected with them. And then when I found out, you know, that they were, had other jobs, for example, and they, they had to work their ass off to play football, to make a living. And um, I just, I don't know, I just, I just enjoyed it a lot more. I had a lot of respect for those guys and, um, you know, just been passionate about it. There are things that I pull out of my head about a football game in 1987, you know, between the Argos and the Eskimos that just kind of like falls out. Some, I, I can't remember what I had for dinner last night, but I can remember odd football statistics with regards to the CFL. Hey, if, if it's a passion, that's that makes sense as to why you're an Argo fan too, because I never really understood that. But uh, Mike, I don't know if you can hear me. If you can go to a wide shot of Lauren, he's got the uh, like the best Toronto Argo logo shirt on. Oh right yeah, now. oh yeah, <laughs> that's me. Where I gotta, I gotta get up. Yeah. Look at that. Is there there we go. Go. <laughs> well, at one point it was the throwback. Now apparently. According to Lauren, they're going to be uh, rocking that again this year, which uh, Pep has a, a fondness for that uh, that logo and those uniforms. Yeah, and my my passion for the CFL it's very similar to Lauren's. Like I I really have no there's not I can't pinpoint a specific moment. I think you know I, I'm a Saskatchewan Rough Riders fan, Lauren. If you're uh, if truth be told, yeah. um, but it was like you know watching a game as a kid on TV in the early '80s and seeing the Kelly Green and the just to hit me in Taylor field. And they were the lovable losers for a few years in the eighties. Like they weren't very good. Joe Pow Pow was their quarterback. And um, I just, you know, just like you said, I, I remember having a card to Ray Elgard and uh, it was just him making a nice catch. And it was just a, a basic card, a Fleer or tops or whatever, whatever made them. And uh, that was, that was my passion for CFL. So very similar, but your, um, your shirt, that logo, Lauren talked, uh, mentioned to Brock and I, before we got on the air that they are permanently switching to that logo on their helmet. One of the nicest in pro sports. One of the nicest color combinations. I think you know what, like the Jays, the, the Jays having the double blue in the '80s and the Argos. Really nice color. Really nice scheme. I love it. Yeah, they're pretty, uh, pretty nice unis. Now, Lauren, you were mentioning that obviously you you did a stint at Ottawa U and did your schooling there, and then you also worked with the Ottawa Rough Riders for a while. Is that right? I did. I did. So I worked with the original Rough Riders, but what'd you do with them? The the, the original ones. Well. Back in the day, this was before Lansdowne ever got re uh, renovated. The the Rough Riders actually did not have a, a weight room in uh, in their locker room. So these guys were uh, you know professional football players. They had nowhere to train. And uh, I remember I I had um, I was a persistent guy. Like I was always sending letters out to people. And I got an opportunity to get into a meeting with uh, with the general manager of the Rough Riders at the time. Uh, Don Holtby, he was a, an old CFRA guy back in the days. And uh, Don, if I remember right, too, Don was a big Ottawa Sooners guy before he uh, he got on with the Rough Riders. Yeah, I think you're right. And uh, my name from. Anyway, so I just I, I explained to him, you know, who I was, what we do. We had a the Nautilus Fitness Center at uh, on on Woodward Avenue. It was the very first Nautilus Center ever uh, in Canada. Actually, it was the original one. And uh, and at the time, so this was like the early 80s, like Nautilus was a big deal in the National Football League. 
And there is um, most of the teams had had Nautilus facilities in their uh, in their in their weight room. So it was uh, I, I was able to sell the idea as an advantage to them to have a you know professional environment for these guys to train in. And uh, I can't remember the names of all the guys that we had, but we had a good group of guys coming in there, and it was. Uh, it was a lot of fun. A lot of local guys. A lot of local guys used to come in there. But I remember Rudy Phillips used to come in. Greg Marshall. Uh, Greg Marshall. D-line guy. Yeah. Um, God, Jim Coot used to come in. Uh, a couple of the skilled guys were coming in. Pat Stokwa would come in. So it was uh, it was a it was a pretty cool thing back in the day, and uh, and it was kind of neat to be able to, to to be involved with them to get in the dressing room a few times with those guys and, uh, and help them prep and, and get ready and, and then train them in the weight room. It was, uh, you know, that was my, that was my, really my first taste of, uh, of professional sports, if you will. And, uh, you know, it, it was a good feeling. It's, it's, it's amazing. You know, the feeling you get when you get to work with somebody and then get to see them perform, you know, for me, I, I'm lucky enough. I've been, I've been able to make a living out of it. And, uh, but you know, I, I, I've, I've learned over time, you get the same feeling when you find out about that kid who, you know, you train as a 15, 16 year old and all of a sudden they're in the OHL or they, they got a college scholarship. It's, it's still a good feeling, but, uh, but the, the, the rough riders, uh, in the, in the early eighties was, uh, was special for sure. It's a good thing you started with the rough riders because then you moved on to hockey, right? You got into the yeah. hockey realm, which with like the Montreal Canadians and, and, the, the definition of pro sports takes a different connotation when you go from an Ottawa Rough Riders CFL team to an NHL team uh, right. with as much history as Montreal and stuff. And, and they, their facilities must have been – you must have been blown away initially. With Montreal Canadiens? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was – you know what? Uh, a good buddy of mine, Scott Livingston, who was the um, – who was the strength coach uh, with the Canadians before I got there, he had actually resigned and Jock Martin took over as head coach and they had just uh, redid their, uh, their facility in, uh, in Montreal Brossard, just a multi multi-million dollar facility that Scott had a, had a hand in, in designing. And uh, so I, I walked into a pretty, pretty decent situation in, in, in with Montreal. And uh, so we weren't contracting out the weight rooms to anybody. We had a, we had just a, everything you could possibly think of in that uh, in that facility, and it was uh, it was a, a, a bit of a dream to to work. And even though I grew up as a Boston Bruins fan, <laughs> now if I can, uh, if I recall, if if the timeline is right, Jacques Martin was that when they had Gianta and some of the and Scott Gomez, or is that before that? No, Gianta, Scott Gomez, Mike Camilleri, okay. all those guys were were there. Kerry Price. Uh, so this was uh, a testament to the work that you probably put in because that was an undersized team for the in by NHL standards, very undersized team. Uh, aside from the Travis Moens and some of the grinders that they had on their team, yeah. but like they were the hardest working team, and they they actually won a couple of rounds. And they well, were we nobody. Actually, we were we we were. Uh, what were I'm trying to remember the record that we lost in the conference championship to uh, Philadelphia Flyers. We were. I think it was uh, two wins away. We were two wins away from going to the Stanley Cup. Right, and, I, that's what I remember. And we made the, we made the playoffs on the last day of the season. So, was and that then 2010? we ten. Is that that was uh, 2009, 2010. 2009. We we rolled once we got in there. We beat Pittsburgh. We beat Washington. Yeah. And then we 
and into Philadelphia. So it was, it was pretty, uh, it was, it was a great experience. Yeah, I remember that run. And I remember how I just saying, these guys are fit. Like they, they don't give up. I mean, the undersized by NHL standards, but really, yeah. really working hard and strong. And yeah. you know, for a guy like, you know, I, I Gianta, who's not a, not a big guy, his quads are gigantic. And yeah. that guy was the guy was fit, and that's probably a testament. Well, not no doubt, it's a testament to the uh, the fitness regimen that, that they well, were going through in Montreal. So it was, but it was also a testament to the to the philosophy that uh, Jacques Martin had instilled in the whole team. So it was uh, it was really like a a, a team uh, effort with regard to the, the training, the on ice practices, scheduling time off, rest, recovery, regeneration. The the uh, the athletic training staff and and it was all you know balanced out really 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 well so it was uh, it was very very cool. How important is it to the relationship between a head coach and a strength coach in terms of having the same uh, philosophy about training the players? Well, it, it, it's a really good question to ask because back in the day it was the coaches who. Um, who made the decisions to hire the strength coach. And, and that's changed over the years now. Now it's the general managers that, that make that decision. So you, you go in and you hope that you could get along with the coach and that you have a similar philosophy. I, can, I won't name any names, but I can tell you to this day, there are strength coaches in, in, in professional hockey who maybe don't see eye to eye with the um, – with the uh, with the head coach and, and and that's a problem. That's a problem. So, mm. um, you know, I've been lucky. I I got to follow Jacques Martin uh, around my whole career. I made a connection with him. I, I I got lucky. He did not know me. I'd sent letters to him to coaches all over the league, and I just hit him at the right time. He was a a fitness guy coming from junior to the pros, and he knew he wanted to make that part of his program and in St. Louis. And, and we just really connected. And, uh, you know, I, I was really grateful for that relationship over the last 30 some odd years. One of the good guys in hockey, eh? he, he was, uh, his run in Ottawa was, mm. was an excellent run. And he was an excellent coach for a team that was young guys coming up. You know, there were some egos and I thought he handled himself really, really well in Ottawa. Yep. Yep. True professional yep. minded takes advice, you know, like it, you know, he, he was actually up, before they they hired the current coach, he was actually being considered as a, as the head coach there. And I, I you know, personally, I got a lot of bias there, but I thought they made a made a mistake because he's the he's the perfect guy who would have mentored all those young players. Which so, is important yeah. given the the current state of the team. It's a, a yeah. very young team, and yeah. they're not getting any older. So having somebody who can develop them would have been great. If he had come back to Ottawa, would you have looked into getting back into that kind of realm? I I, I would have hoped to, but uh, to be honest, the the, uh, the Senators have an outstanding strength conditioning coach there in Chris Schwartz, who does, he's been there for uh, I think over ten years now and does an outstanding job. So whether I'd wanted to go back or not, it'd be it'd be tough to replace a guy like like Chris, who's done uh, done such great work for those guys. Yeah, so well. actually, I have a question. Just. Yeah. And uh, nobody in specific, but just a day in the life of a hockey player when it comes to fitness. So they do they wake up? They have they obviously they're following a certain nutrition plan. Is right. it is it two a days? Is it scheduled days off? And are you responsible for making that entire schedule? Well, to, that's like an open ended question. Are we in season? Are we off season? Are but, we? 
let's say in season period. Let's say in season because I think just it'll give the uh, the listeners an idea of exactly what these players have to go through at what they what they live their daily lives from uh, nine to five. What they actually do, it's not just go to practice and then go have lunch. These guys are in the gym. They're putting yep. in the time. Yeah. Well, so what, tell what you, it? It, just about every every team has has a has a chef and a kitchen in, in their training facility. So guys, you know, come rolling in around uh, you know seven thirty, eight o'clock, eight thirty, the latest. They'll have a, have a breakfast, a, a good high protein breakfast, a healthy breakfast. There's uh, there's no French toast and maple syrup there. It's uh, it's eggs. There's meat. There's uh, there's fruit and vegetables. Um, and then uh, then they'll have some time on their own after they finish breakfast. And they've digested a little bit. Then we will around. So for 10:30 practice, we would be uh, warming up about 20 to 10. We typically would have a have a team warm up where we go through our our dynamic warm up, not unlike what we used to do at the uh, at the ACC Brock. And, um, and then they would, uh, you know, 10, 10, 10, 15, give or take, they'd go into the dressing room, get changed. They'd hop on the ice for practice. Uh, they would skate from, you know, 1030 to, uh, you know, about 1130, give or take by the time they get off the ice, maybe 1145. Then they're coming into the weight room for, uh, for another team workout, or if there's not a team workout, there's individual work that, uh, players have to, uh, you know, dedicate themselves to that have been prescribed for certain players. We go through those workouts with them. Guys will be rolling out, stretching, uh, regenerating, uh, hot tub, cold tub, shower, lunch is prepared for them. Uh, any meetings they might have uh, after that. And then they're, they're rolling on their way or they either going to the airport or they're, they're going home for their, uh, uh, pregame nap, what have you? So it's uh, it's it's a pretty it's a pretty busy day for uh, for these guys. I mean, yeah, a lot of guys, a lot of fans, average fans, don't necessarily know the amount of effort it takes to get to actual game time. They think maybe it's you know a lot of napping and just relaxing around the house until you go and warm up and then get on with the game. But there's there is a lot of prep, and that's from a a long term. Uh, sustainability aspect that's why the, you're putting these guys through the the workouts that you're putting them through now yeah. with your hockey you made a connection with uh, a gentleman that i used to idolize as when i used to be a leaf fan uh <laughs> during the playoffs that one year where everybody was hurt except for this guy gary roberts right and all the young guys i remember still had the marker on their arm or whatever it was and they had put uh uh, GRH on their arm for Gary Roberts hockey. They're all going to play Gary Roberts hockey, and it was tough. It was, uh, but still skillful, and they got the job done. And anyway, yeah. probably the best playoffs uh, season that I had seen from a, a fan standpoint of just being so invested with little expectations, but just watching a team over exceed uh, at every count and watch these young guys follow this mother duckling kind of thing through uh, mother duck through everything and it was amazing but the only reason he's playing at that point is because of work that he put in with you because he suffered uh i believe a broken neck wasn't it yeah he's yep. a broken neck he's he's had more you know the broken neck was something that he you know he had to battle to come back through but i can remember uh one summer in particular he had double shoulder surgery 
And uh, I mean, you guys think about that for a second. Double. I don't know if you've ever had it, Brock, but you know, when you when you lose your your your, your use of your arm, so you lose use of your arm for. I think he had uh, he'd have the surgery, and then he waited four to six weeks, and he had the other surgery, and he barely had use of his arm after four weeks. So it was a, it, it was an inter interesting summer. But th that guy was, I mean, tough, tough tough as nails like it's almost like he thrived on uh on, on pain and having to battle through these injuries to be able to, to to play as long as he did and coming back from from uh from the neck the spinal stenosis uh surgery that he had in, in his neck so it's you know if you go on on youtube there's stories all over the place about him and and uh him having to have uh you know his teammates tie his skates because he couldn't get his arms down or have his teammate put his his arm onto his like grip his stick because he, he he couldn't lift his arm and it got to the point where you know i mean it was it was all heart and not a lot of brains going out there you know when you're in that way because i remember at times he said he, he he even admitted like he was afraid because he he couldn't defend himself anymore mm. so you know you talk about tough and talented i mean you know they used, they used to talk about gordy halbing Tough and talented, the old Gordy Howe uh, hat trick, a fight, a goal, and assist. And uh, I mean, Gary Roberts had that uh, off and off and often in his uh, in his career. So, you know, well, I remember I listened to an interview with uh, with Gary who was talking about that, and in the interview he was saying that it sounded like you reached out to him uh, in terms of you know possibly getting back into the game and asking if his desire, if he wanted to play again. And was he willing to, you know, basically come and work with you? Is that how yeah. it happened? Did you reach out to him? And what did you well, see? He, he, reach out? That, that was how it happened. But we were at that point. So he was, uh, he retired as a Calgary flame. I was in Ottawa. He was living in Calgary. And uh, at that point, I'd, I'd met a, a, a guy um, named Mark Lindsay, who was a chiropractor in Ottawa at the time. And uh, Mark had introduced me into a technique called active release techniques, which is a, which is a soft tissue technique that um, just helps a, a therapist uh, work out adhesions and sticky points and knots and what have you. It helps improve, uh, you know, mobility uh, and flexibility around around a joint. And I had it done on me a number of times, and. Um, so I told Gary about this this technique, and it was it was being done by a a guy out in uh, in Colorado Springs who created it, Dr. Mike Leahy, and and I actually ended up taking the, the the ART course as a strength coach, and um and after he saw Leahy, he spent two weeks with Leahy, and and Gary called me one day. He says he goes Goldie, I think. I think I can play. Like I feel unbelievable, and and the doctor thought he'd be able to play, and and the doctor at the time uh, told Gary about a guy named Charles Polican who would be able to help him out. So Gary had contacted me. He goes, "Hey, do you know Charles?" And I said, "Well, of course I know Charles. We went to school together at Ottawa U." And uh, he's like, "Well, he's right in Calgary. It's a perfect opportunity for me to kind of work pri privately with Charles." So I. I connected him with Charles. We had a long conversation about Gary's history and what he needed. And, um, and that was it. Charles kind of built him back up and, uh, and was able to, 
to get him back in the National Hockey League, and and uh, you know, and the rest is the rest is history. So he, I mean, he's Gary. Gary has been with so many strength coaches. I like to think he always kept coming back to me because he, he would joke. He goes, "Ah, oh, Goldie." He goes, "You know, I'll hire you. I'll fire you. I'll hire you and fire you." <laughs> you know, and uh, you know, and we've worked together. We've got. I mean, yeah. he's one of my best friends. We've got. Uh, I met him when he was seventeen years old. That's when I started working with him. So I've been on and off with him for for all these years. I like to think we we got back together, and uh, I, I want to say it was maybe ninety ninety eight. 99 then we just kind of carried it through we opened up facilities together and created programs together and you know half the guys on on the wall behind me are are, are a result of gary roberts and nice. you know so we've got a, we've had a great relationship over uh over over these years uh well as i say thanks to you and charles you brought me a lot of pleasure uh, <laughs> a couple of those but i think he also inspired a lot of uh, a lot of young hockey players. I'm not yeah. putting myself in that category, but a lot of young hockey players um, yeah. and Leaf fans at that time. And, and it was very, it was inspirational almost how he comes back from having the, you know, the old football neck roll on the ice. And you think, what's yeah. like, this guy can't come back. And and to come back the way he did was very impressive. Now, fast forward, I don't even want to count the years, to, to, the, to 2020. Right. You have another big athlete, who suffers a, a fairly devastating injury yeah. and needs to come back from that. Yeah. And that's Ben Roethlisberger with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Pierre, are you familiar with him? I think I, I, think, I, I think I might know him. In fact, that picture behind me, it, it might be hard to see, but my, my brother spent his honeymoon uh, watching the Steelers on a Thursday night. They were playing uh, two games that week. I think it was a... It was a two-game week. You know how they some just the way the schedule can work out. If you if you get there on time, you can actually sneak in two games. Um, he was there. Might have been the Chargers on a Thursday, and it's snowy. He had it sort of cropped in Photoshop, but that's Ben running on the field. Uh, huge Steeler fan. I haven't missed a single one of his games throughout his entire career, and that is a fact. I've watched every minute of his career, um, and it was hard for me to see him last year get hurt because I had flashbacks of Terry Bradshaw, and. Yeah. You know, when we talk about sports medicine, which we might get into, if we have some time, we might get into that a little bit. But um, when I think about Terry Bradshaw and how he hurt his elbow, and I think it kind of brought um, everybody to their knees last year, yet they still finished 8-8, eight and eight, which is a testament to their defense, considering they were rolling out Duck Hodges and, and Mason Rudolph all last year. To finish 8-8 eight and eight and to almost actually make the playoffs without Ben, I thought personally, I said, you know what? This is going to be a twelve and four team, a four maybe a thirteen win team with with an actual quarterback who can groom the young receivers. But he has looked real good. And tell us more about your work with him and and how that's been going. Well, it's, it's been going really well. He, he's uh, it's a uh, it's a it's a great it was a great opportunity for me to be able to to kind of step in that role, being the football guy who is uh, who is trapped in in, in hockey. But uh, you know, I I got. Um, just to kind of lead you in how I, I'll try to make this a short story, but I was actually working with Gary Roberts in Pittsburgh. And at the time his um, uh, Ben's agent had called the facility that I was directing and, and uh, just, you know, introduced himself uh, who, who he was representing and, uh, and Ben was, you know, looking for a place to train. It's convenient to him. And I got on a, on a call with uh, Ryan Tolner, who's his agent. And, um, 
just kind of told him who I was and what I did, my background and, you know, what we could do for him at this facility. And um, he's like, okay. He said, well, let me tell you what we're really looking for. And, and he, they were really looking for, for, for somebody to work with Ben uh, privately and, and uniquely exclusively with him. And, um, and uh, so he said, you just might be the right guy for the job. Uh, I'm not sure if that was based on my age or my experience, uh, but uh, it seemed to work out. I had a couple of meetings with Ben. We actually you know, went to my facility uh, to, to work out a couple times at, at, at UPMC here in Pittsburgh at the Penguins facility and, uh, and, and, and seeing him come in, 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 a, in a public place, like it was, it was, um, I mean, he's a recognized face. I mean, he is a star in this town and, uh, he, you know, he, he, it was tough for him to come in without people ogling him and eyeing him. And so I could, I, I kind of got an appreciation of why they wanted, um, me to work with him in a private exclusive environment um, because, you know, you know, players, athletes of that level. Um, I mean, they, they love their fans, but they also appreciate their, their, their privacy. And uh, so I took him through a couple of workouts an assessment, uh, gave him my thoughts on, on the direction we should go. I got a call back from the agent a couple of days later. He said, Hey, Ben really likes what you're trying to do. He gets you. He said, let's, uh, let's make this happen. And, uh, you know, so that was, uh, I'm in my third year now and it's been a, an incredible opportunity, um, you know, that, that he's been able to provide me. So I, you know, I've helped him with his, his, you know, his strength and conditioning, his nutrition, he's, you know, his regeneration after, after games, uh, his prep before games. And, uh, it's been an incredible experience kind of, you know, being in, getting the opportunity to be in the bowels of, Heinz Field and just seeing what's happened, seeing those, you know, Sunday night football guys uh, get organized in, in, in the hallways there and, and, and just, you know, seeing what the players are, are going through from a team perspective in, in, in preparation. And, uh, you know, I've got a lot invested, you know, I mean, that's my boss is going out there and, and playing. So when I, when I, when I, you know, saw him go down last year, it was, it was, uh, kind of heart wrenching because I knew what he meant to the team. And I knew, um, you know, after we found out what the injury was and that, you know, all those tendons had been, had been, you know, uh, torn uh, in that throwing motion, it was going to be a, a, a long uh, road back. And, uh, but, um, you know, I worked in, in a really kind of like an all-star team of people like, the surgeons, the team doctors, the team trainers, um, the strength coaches. There, it was a great. Uh, it was a great. Everybody kind of coming together, making sure we did what was what was right for Ben. And he 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 worked his uh, you know what off to uh, to to kind of to get there. And you, you could see that in that documentary that uh, that's on YouTube, bigger than Ben. The time that he uh, that he put in. And uh, I, I can say he, he, he really, really was, was dedicated to the, uh, to the process and, and he's, he's reaping the rewards right now and, and so are the Steelers because the, the record is, uh, is incredible right now. Well, and I think, you know, when I watch him on the field, he's surrounded by youth. I think they're, all their yeah. wide receivers are three years or younger, if not rookies. And yeah. what he's doing with, with, uh, with them and teaching them how to be professional on and off the field, 
And, you know, he's surrounded by a veteran offensive line, but really youth at all the skill positions. And it's uh, it's really great to see. He's 17 years in the league yeah, as, yep. as a quarterback. And let's face it, from 06 to 20, until Bruce Arians left and they brought in Todd Haley, he took a, he took a beating those first five years. Yeah. And uh, for him to be able to come back and sort of reinvent himself as, a, you know, get the ball out a little bit quicker. And, uh, you know, he does he does a great job of extending plays, but... You know, I think he's just he's reinvented himself at this later career, and he looks like he could play a couple more years. Like he looks, he looks like he Big Ben. Well, he, he does look like Big Ben, and you know, I mean, it, I mean, people are aware of the injuries that he sustained over his career. I mean, if you you you, you type it in on, on on a Google on Google Chrome, it'll it'll, it'll come up. I mean, it's it's been detailed and, and, and followed, and I think he's done a, done a really good job of dedicating himself to to, to nutrition to rest to uh to the training to ensure that i mean he wants to play i mean this this the one thing i've gotten from him is is he is uh he, he loves football he's passionate about football he he wants to win another championship and uh you know the 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 effort that he's dedicated uh to the process is is uh is really impressive and uh and he's you know he's such a i mean everybody kind of circles around him so um, you know, we're, we're keeping our fingers crossed. I know you are too, Pep. Oh, for sure. And we, before we only have a couple more minutes here, but uh, before we, uh, Brock finishes up and says what he has to say, did you, you saw the, um, Bradshaw Roethlisberger, uh, I guess interview or the, they were, they went, they had a one-on-one where they sort of, whatever animosity they had in the past, they buried the hatchet and yeah. it was a very emotional Eight, eight or ten minute interview. What yeah. did th- what did that mean to the city of Pittsburgh for those two guys to get connected? I mean, they they're obviously lived through a very similar thing, you know, elbow and career threatening. Uh, what did, what do you think that meant to the city for these two icons to get back and for for Bradshaw to get back into the good graces of the city? Because for a long time, uh, you know, there was uh, there was some friction there. Yeah, I think. Well, you know what. I think the one thing about when you're when you're a Pittsburgh Steeler, you're a Pittsburgh Steeler forever. And uh, I think, I mean, it, it was all it was highlighted in the media here. There's a lot of talk. Uh, there was a lot of talk about it, and I think it was just a a, a feel good story, if you will, kind of maybe almost like you know getting back together with your old girlfriend or boyfriend um, here because you know he. Because Bradshaw brought so many uh, championships to, to to this city, he certainly is is an icon there. So the the feeling was 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 really positive, and um, and uh, people were glad that that uh, that was able to happen. Because I think I think people are thinking there's there's another championship coming. So, and 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 Ben, I mean, did you feel the a weight lifted off Ben's shoulders by that? Like, I mean, I'm not sure if that's something that you could even explain, but like, it must have been something good for him too. I think you know to they they're. You talk about the Steeler quarterbacks. There's Ben Roethlisberger and Bradshaw, and a few guys in between. You know. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure. We didn't really talk about. It, to be honest with you, I, 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 I saw the, I saw the interview, and I read about it, and I saw it all on social media. And actually, uh, there must have been a, a couple of days in between the two. And when I actually got got to see him, I didn't even ask him about it. To be honest with you, and sure. uh, you know, so. <laughs> It's, uh, he's, uh, I know he loves, he loves the city. He loves the Steelers. He, he loves, uh, he loves what's happening. And, uh, and, uh, I think, uh, you know, the whole year, everything that's happening this year, aside from COVID has been, uh, has been positive for, for, for him and the team. 
Well, on that note, actually, so we're going to wrap it up because of it, but I, and it's blocking your face as I put the quote on there, but one of our Facebook uh, listeners had put on, as a diehard Steeler fan, I personally would like to take this opportunity in thanking Lauren for the magic he's done on Big Ben and helping him come back from a career-threatening injury to not only be playing well, but in MVP form. Please keep doing what you're doing and help Ben make it to the end of the season. Thank you, Lauren. For some people like me, this Steeler season has been has made one of the worst years ever into one of the best. Wow. So from a COVID standpoint, these Steeler fans appreciate the effort you put in. Um, I that might be my brother. What You think so? I feel uh, like well, it's not. But <laughs> if you're going to be commenting on the show, sign in so we know your name. Um, but – that being said, I, I understand the agreement between you and Ben was that, like Pierre said, it looks like he has a couple of years left. So I think the final two years are to be played with the Argonauts. Is that correct? Is that the trade-off? <laughs> <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> no, but I, I have mentioned to him on more than one occasion that not too many guys have won a Grey Cup and a Super Bowl. And a Super Bowl as a quarterback. So. Nor has many people had Lauren Goldenberg on your driveway with the <laughs> Ottawa U jer- uh, sweatshirt on. Like that's uh, – I know. watched all four of those episodes, and I just basically fast-forward until I could see you in there somewhere. I was like, where is he? <laughs> and you were, you were wearing all the Ottawa stuff proudly. It was awesome. Well, yeah. We got to get Lauren back on the show because I like there was we could literally do a three hour show with Lauren. I had questions about what you thought your thoughts on AstroTurf versus the new turf versus grass. I had a few questions about you know sports science and the modern athlete and their recovery versus how it yeah. was thirty years ago. But we got to get him I mean, on the podcast. Bonus content. Longer, yeah, longer interview with yeah. Lauren. Let's get into all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So yeah. Lauren, Pep and I, Pep, Pep and I might go down to Pittsburgh. Maybe it's yeah. a game weekend or something like that, and we'll do it there next time. We'll come to you yeah. as opposed to doing the remote, but yeah. we are definitely going to be doing a follow-up interview. All right. Make sure everybody gets vaccinated. <laughs> That's <laughs> I'm right. Not the, I'm not the first ones. I'm going to let yeah. another group of guinea pigs take it first, but I'll be soon after if I need to. But, All Lauren, right. thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule. Yeah. I'm glad the Steelers yeah. are not playing tonight, so you didn't have to miss anything or we didn't have to rush. So tomorrow, whatever Fingers it is. Fingers crossed they play tomorrow. Think. Hopefully, yeah. Hopefully the game happens tomorrow. But we really appreciate your time, Lauren. Thanks a lot for coming. Right. Appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. Thanks, Lauren. All right. Take care. Right. Okay, Pierre, we forgot to do wow. our first sponsorship for this episode. Yeah, we I don't even think we had a chance, but why don't you uh why don't you roll us into this, buddy? All right, let's go. This episode <laughs> is brought to you by Ken Trip Real Estate. Uh, basically, if you're looking to buy, sell, or invest in real estate, whether you're new or experienced, you can trust Kentrip Real Estate for all your needs. And this is the guy. So I think I made a joke about last time. He was growing a stash for uh, November. And I think yeah. I have. I made an overlay. I put his picture on. So this is the guy that will be helping you. I swear he usually wears a suit and is a bit more <laughs> clean cut. But you can trust the guy who will go to that distance to raise funds for a good cause. So Ken, good on you. He looks younger every week. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> All right. What's uh, the next segment? We have uh, – so we're obviously – we went over with Lauren. So we That's need all right. To, uh, you know, pick it up a little bit. You know what? I want to talk – we uh, we had some headlines, and then we were going to get into our uh, some quotes that we uh, that I've, we found interesting. But I wanted to – five minutes. Talk about what I thought was a very amateur – 
a very uh, hastily put together production, if you will, of the Tyson Roy Jones Jr. fight. I, I'm not sure what they were, what the goal was. I, entertainment, obviously, right? With all the in, the rap interludes and uh, having Snoop Dogg do commentary. Clearly, they got you know the 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 head guy. I don't even know his name, but the guy that was doing most of the color for the for the boxing fights was over the top. Like, you know, if a guy, if a guy scored with a jab, he made it sound like, you know, uh, Clubber Lang knocking somebody out. I get that it was entertainment value. I, I'm, and I, I want to thank you, by the way, for allowing me to watch it at your place. Um, it was entertaining for sure, but it was a fiasco. It was you and Curtis on the couch were entertaining. That's what, <laughs> that's what brought me more pleasure that whole evening was just the chirping that was going on between the three of us about that fiasco of a production. And right? If, is it me? Is it me? No, it was garbage. And if it wasn't, again, I feel bad that Nate uh, got knocked out cold. But if it wasn't for that, there would be nothing else to talk about. The, I I personally liked the Badu Jack Blake uh, McKernan fight. I know you had left the room for a bit and missed most of that fight. Entertaining. It, it, boxing standards, I, not really. It was clearly Badu Jack has a lot more experience than this other guy he was fighting uh, was a bit more raw and amateur, but uh, at least there was some boxing. At least there was some style. Uh, like you said, the Nate and Jake, Jake Paul or Logan Paul or whatever, Jake Paul. I mean, that was that was a guy who had no idea how to fight. Like, did Nate Robinson train? Like, he doesn't, his hands were down, his, his arms were out. It was, he looked like he was playing defense on in basketball. Well, he was all offense, but it was just not proper offense. He was oh. very aggressive. He was just, I'm going to try and connect something quick and use my explosiveness from being an athlete. But even the punches he were throwing doesn't look like anybody showed him how to throw an actual punch. The Tyson, after the fight, uh, sorry, after after the interview even, uh, came out and said he was high. He got high before the fight. So... Is he? I mean, did he do this? Uh, his fans and the people who paid for this a disservice by coming out there high as a kite. Did he know? Understand that? Did he? He must have understood that Roy Jones Jr. is not going to be much of a fight. Uh, he's out of shape after a round and a half. Jones Jr. looked like he needed oxygen. So Tyson must have known this going in, saying, "You know what? This I this is not what it was uh, built to be. Jones Jr. is out of shape. I'm just going to smoke smoke weed and move on." Yeah, I mean, he might have taken that just so he tames the beast to a point. So he just ah, interesting. And boxes Roy Jones Jr. and doesn't let that switch flip. Maybe that's just a common thing where that's ah. why he was so like, you know what? I'm just, I boxed. I had fun. I, you know, like I was cautious about it. Uh, you know, he's a good fighter. This night he was respectful after, but maybe if he doesn't do that, maybe he's more likely to to flip that switch and then it's kind of, it's on. And, and it could have got really ugly, I think, if, um, like Tyson at outbox him. Uh, Tyson's sure. shots were looking like they hurt from a, a, fan, a viewer standpoint. Like, yeah, he, yes, he's not the Tyson of old, but there is that old Tyson in there, one hundred percent. And I would like to see him fight somebody else. So let's see what happens. But, well, Evander Holyfield just came out. Yeah, I know he challenged him, and and uh, I think I've seen I, enough of this. These guys. I mean, you know, I I was not impressed with Tyson at all. Even the two two minute rounds, he he kind of lost a bit of power after those first two rounds, where he he had sort of connected. And you're like, oh boy, there's a little power behind there. 
after the third, fourth round, like you said, maybe he started taking it easy. Maybe the maybe the the marijuana yeah, kicked in, wrapping him up and stuff. Anyway, so what do you do at that point? You know what I mean? What like, do you do at that point? Yeah, yeah. fight. It's whatever. I think Mike Tyson is it not Mike Tyson's legendary boxing or something like that. Like, doesn't he own part of this production? So it's possible. Anyway, whatever. It was just, it, it killed a Saturday night. I got to hang out with you and my brother. It was worth it. I'll give it. I'll give the uh, sitting around with you and Kurt and hanging out and chilling. I'll give that an A plus. The the production from I'm not going to go fight the fight. Just a, a, in general, from start to finish, with the music interludes and with the uh, Snoop Dogg commentary, which was I thought was ridiculous. Other than the one thing about the, my two uncles fighting, I thought that was kind of funny. But apart from that, he was awful. Uh, the whole thing for me gets a D minus, and I'd only get, I'd give it an F, but yeah, it was entertaining. So. Snoop's little uh, music uh, production thing was good. He played a lot of his hits, quick snippets of it. So the jacket entertainment, the jacket and t-shirt that matches his album cover. Yeah. Anyway. All right. We're, we kill enough time here. Let's move on to uh, what else you want to cover. We didn't let's go to headline. headline we're doing headlines now. Yeah. Let's go. All right. Is Mike. Headlines with Brock and Pep. Quick shout out to Mike in the back there who has been uh, dodging bullets left and right from us today because we're totally off track in terms of organization. We didn't do the sponsor initially. The headlines were later anyway. So, Mike, good job. All right, Pep, headlines. What do you got? Headlines, really quick. I, I want to get your thought on, um, I think it's Sarah Fuller. Sarah Fuller, that's correct. Yeah, the kicker for Vanderbilt. She's the first female to play in a Power 5 conference football game which means uh sec big 10 big 12 acc or pac 12 which are the five biggest conferences with the biggest football teams with brings in the most money um there have been other females who've kicked for other uh other teams that are outside of those power five but she's the first power five conference female to to play now this kind of got um, for me it kind of came out of nowhere I didn't know this was actually going to happen. Uh, only within a day or two, there was some talk about uh, a female kicker coming out and kicking for uh, a, a college team. Did this was this in the in the works for a while, or did this just come up, or did they just notice that hey, this this particular player, soccer player, has a good leg? Let's give her a look. Like, I, I how did it come up? I don't know what happened on uh, the roster in terms of kicking and stuff. I don't think she was even designed to be a kickoff specialist. She ended up kicking off in the game. Um, I think she was in for like, uh, PATs and stuff like that, like field goal kicking, I believe. Um, but Vanderbilt scored zero points. So I think, uh, because they went zero at the beginning of the, uh, the first half, they let her kick off the second half and lo and behold, she had no other opportunities to kick because Vanderbilt scored zero points. So there's never a kickoff or a PAT. So that was the only place she could get in. Um, Vanderbilt was 0-7 at the time. They are now 0-8. They actually fired their head coach the day after. So Derek Mason got canned the day after. I think it's because of the 0-8 and, and not because mm -hmm. he played uh, Sarah in the game. And now the more I think about it, I'm like, I wonder if he's sitting at home saying, if I had known I was getting fired, I would have put her in a quarterback. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Throw a pass, hand the ball off, do something, like just play as much. Now, again, she she kicked the ball off. It was a uh, – lackluster sort yeah, of short kick, kick short kick, squib kick, whether that was on purpose or not, the returner fell on the ball. 
Uh, I would have been curious to see what would have happened if he was actually returning it, like where that would have gone. But um, but she played, and so that's a, a historical moment. Well, sticking with football, COVID outbreaks in the NFL. Uh, we're seeing more and more. We're seeing you know uh, complete and complete total positions being wiped off, like the boy saw with the Broncos, uh, the Ravens. It's a bit more of an outbreak where the whole team is being affected, different positions. Uh, is the NFL going to make it to the end of the season? Um, they will. It'll be adjusted, just like the NCAA is adjusting to a point as well. So uh, in that scenario, uh, there's some teams that have started later in the season because they weren't sure if they're going to open up. Like Ohio State, the Big Ten started later. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ohio State has missed two games. They have two games remaining, and they're 4-0 right now, so they're still in the top four, I think. But if they are unable to play one of those two games, then they won't meet the min- the minimum of six that needs to be played for it to be into a Big Ten championship game. Uh, so that may eliminate them from the playoffs, eliminate them from the Big Ten championship at least. Um, and then you start getting some skeptics as to, you know, who should be in given a number of, of, uh, of games. I think the NFL is going to be kind of in the same boat, although they've started a lot earlier and, and most teams have a pretty sizable um schedule that has been played already they haven't missed a ton of games really so uh i think the nfl does finish off it's just a matter of when you know are there games that are going to be canceled uh in order to uh make sure the teams are, are healthy and moving forward but yeah i think they will there's too much money involved for them not to did the nfl do the broncos dirty and i understand that the situation with denver is a lot different than the ravens and some of the other examples but Let's face it, in the NFL, if you don't have a quarterback, they, that kid that they played had one pass completion. He was one for nine or something ridiculous. Yep. Like, you can clearly in the NHL, you could win a game with a, a Zamboni driver playing nets. You know, there's examples of other other leagues. You know, uh, uh, in baseball, you'll see uh, a pitcher come in and, and throw a couple of scoreless innings, you know, a position player play pitcher. You have no chance in the NFL if you don't have a quarterback. Unless you, your system is designed and you've practiced all offseason for it, did the NFL do the Broncos dirty? What I thought was dirty was that when all their quarterbacks in the locker room had gone down, they had actually asked the league to activate an assistant coach, I think it was, to play yep. quarterback. And that was denied, which I have no idea why it was denied because anybody should be able to play on a professional football team. Um, much like a Zamboni driver in Nets. If they want to bring the guy on and sign him for a day contract or a week contract, whatever it is, uh, and let him play, I don't understand why they said no. Now, yes, goalies can come in and you say, you know, you've won with that. But that's, you know what I mean? Like if you watch the Carolina Hurricanes play in front of them, they had minimal shots and they were all over Toronto. You need to, quarterback touches the ball on basically every play. Look at the the opposite. The Saints. Breeze has been out, so they got that uh, Taysom Hill in. Taysom yeah. Hill didn't do much better either, but they ran the ball all over the place, and that's what separated it. So if you're able to minimize the need for the quarterback to make a play, then you'd be better off. But it's easier to do from a goalie standpoint and hiding him than it is to um, to do that with a quarterback and trying to keep a defense honest. It's, it's difficult to do. But, yeah, I 100% think the league was shady or not shady, but just – I question Dirty. why they wouldn't let the coach play. For me, look, I, uh, it's one thing to have Taysom Hill, who's been in, in the system, and they've they've actually got him in plays, so he's in the huddle. To 
telling Denver, all four of your quarterbacks, all four guys who are, have been in practice, practice squad, know the offense, are all they're all out for, from COVID, and you're the only chance you have is to bring a guy who doesn't even play quarterback off the street. He's the only option for you. To me, there's something there, or the the NFL obviously is still still rolling with the punches, right? Everything is everything is new with COVID. Everything is new. They have everything that they're dealing with all these issues as they come. So I'm not going to be too too hard on the NFL, but I just think, come on, you know, you really did the, the, the Broncos. It, I think it has something to do with the way the league wants to control things. To say one, Denver and New Orleans isn't like a a, a game that a lot of people give a crap about. Breeze, so the Saints are already down. Like they don't have a quarterback on that side after putting Taysom Hill. So maybe they're like, whatever, let's just finish it. Versus like a Steeler Ravens, that's a marquee matchup for them. And there's only a handful of marquee matchups throughout the season that the NFL can really capitalize and that actually live up to the bill. And the Steelers Ravens could very well be that. Yep. So why would they sell that short and say, you know what? Yeah, well, we're going to force the Ravens to play with half a squad and get destroyed by Pittsburgh, and then it just looks bad. Because even though everybody knows they're limited on players, it's still just uniform versus uniform, and it's going to have a scoreboard of Steelers versus Ravens. Yeah. And say, well, the Ravens aren't even there. Like, nobody wants to tune into that. So yep. they're trying to make sure that they can capitalize on it, and that's at least that's what my thinking is for what they were doing. Yep, and I'm just playing – again, we spent a lot of time on this, sorry, but I'm just thinking Broncos are 4-6. and six. You know, it's a it is a big game for the most part, a pretty big game. They, they win their five and six in the the bottom tier of the AFC. There's opportunities there. I don't know if the the Dolphins are going to be able to sustain themselves the rest of the year. This is all new territory for them. You know, you you win this game, you're five and six. All of a sudden, the Raiders are six and five. Yeah, you know, like that was a big loss. That was a big deal. And Vic Fangio is upset. I think the Denver organization is upset. They got to move past this anyway. So do we. Um, NFL bubbles, uh, cities, you know, is there, it, it gives zero incentive for, uh, for teams at this point, there's no fans in the, in the stands anyway, but there are, there are some teams that are, that do have enough fans. I mean, uh, in Tampa, they were making quite a bit of noise there. Um, it incentivizes teams to not really worry about where they finish from two to seven. Is that a big deal? No, no. <laughs> fair, fair enough. Yeah, the NBA starts on December 22nd. We'll have an NBA show coming up in the next two weeks. Yep. Um, it's a very short offseason, the shortest ever on record. Do you anticipate injuries, or do you anticipate the star players getting the old load management? Uh, load management, 100%. Um, they will do as much as of the same as they can from an offseason training standpoint, uh, but I think that will then carry kind of throughout the season because of load management, and those will be – understandings by the teams, uh, the coaching staff and ownership of how those players are to be uh, managed. But yeah, I think we'll see that for sure. It's very interesting. I, I anticipate a slew of injuries, a lot like what we've seen in the NFL. I, I'm hoping not. I'm not wishing it on anybody. I just, it's a, it's a gut feeling. And, uh, you know, uh, maybe it's the Clay Thompson injury. Maybe it's, I'm very curious to see if Durant can come back, if there's any ill effects. You know, you hurt a knee, you hurt a hip, you compensate with the off leg for years, unless you've got a trainer like Goldie who can take care of you. But um, uh, Goldie just said, uh, thanks, guys, I'm signing off. Well, thank you. Um, thank but you. yes, I, I hope I hope I'm wrong, but we'll see what happens. Anyway, that's all I got for headlines today. Um, you right. know what? We can we can come back. Do you have quotes that you want to? We had we had a top five quotes. Did you have? Did you actually have yeah, top five? I mean, it's not uh, long, but we got a we got a, another sponsorship. We got to get Ken Trip in. Yeah, I got him right now. Okay. Um, all right, cue up that there he is. Look at him. Look how handsome he is. 
the buying and selling and investing. You know, the, the man is just a legend. Um, today's show brought to you by Ken Tripp Real Estate. Looking to invest in real estate and don't know where to start? Ken is an experienced investor and can show you the way. Message at Ken Tripp Real Estate on Instagram today. And Ken is, uh, I mean, we talk about Ken, like, you know, we know Ken personally, but he's extremely professional. And I've dealt with Ken through with other things in my, in, uh, in the past to have, uh, from a financing perspective, extremely professional and prompt and he'll get back to you. And he, he, uh, has a knack of giving you what you want. So Ken's the man. Ken's the man. All right. Are we doing a talk? What is yes. this? Who that made was, that? I did. I made them all, man. No problem. <laughs> that is beautiful. I got an NBA one for next time too. Can we do? Can we play? Can we do that again? Let's give it. Let's give it a roll. Roll. The- <laughs> it's amazing. <Bro>. <laughs> <laughs> it's beautiful. All right. All right. I, I'm going to let you go first, but I want uh, we're we're going to give you today. We're trying to make a habit of giving you a top five or top ten list every for every show. Not always easy. You've got to get really creative, but uh, we're Brock and I are pretty creative guys. So I came up with my top five all time best football quotes. These are players, coaches. Um, mine happened to be more on the amusing side, but at Brock, I don't know if you had. If you had some something more serious, that that's uh, anything goes. But um, Brock, I want you to give us your five best all-time football quotes. All right, these are my five quotes. No, this isn't serious by any means. Uh, <laughs> first one is uh, is Bruce Coslett, who was the Bengals head coach when they were miserable, which oh, could be terrible as well. His quote said, "We can't run, we can't pass, we can't stop the run, and we can't stop the pass. We can't kick." Other than that, we're just not a very good football team right now. <laughs> that was my number five. Number four, shout out to Steelers. This is for you. This is Bill Cower. Okay. Okay. Bill Cower, uh, Sergeant Slaughter. Uh, we're not attempting to circumcise the rules. He did not say that. He just yeah. <laughs> come on. Yeah. Pardon me. Yeah, I don't <laughs> think that's the right word, Coach. Okay. Uh, number three, Randy Cross. The former 49ers uh, right guard. Rugged. Uh, the NFL, like life, is full of idiots. I think it's actually a very good quote. It's well, he had to quote. play he had to play against Lyle Alzado for a few years. So yeah, I guess, yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, number two, I got John Madden. I, I was practicing a John Madden voice. I can't do it. Raiders head coach. And you know, the the purpose of the center during the snap is to get the ball to the quarterback. If that doesn't happen, it usually results in a fumble. <laughs> okay. Was that your John Madden? Uh, <laughs> I could have gone way worse if I had actually like put a bit more effort into it. But anyway, thanks, John. That one from an offensive lineman standpoint. Uh, yeah, we get it. If the quarter, if the center can't get the ball to the quarterback, it's a fumble. Right. <laughs> and then uh, my favorite quote that I've actually probably said back. Uh, when I was younger, uh, was from the fridge, William Perry, the uh, defensive tackle for the Bears, where he says, I've been big ever since I was little. <laughs> Brilliant. Thanks, Fridge. Thanks, That's incredible. 
Uh, that Bill Cower one, I'm gonna have to look. I'm gonna have to look that up. I uh, that's unfortunate. Uh, I, I wonder fact checking right now. Curious. I wonder if he. My question is, I wonder if he meant it, but just sort of meant it as a as he was just trying to be. I don't know. Try to overthink the quote, but actually didn't mean it to be a typo. Anyway, I'll look that. I'm gonna look that up a little later. That's interesting. I've never heard that one. I, I'm a Steelers guy. I've never heard that one. Uh, I'll give you my top five really quick. Uh, John McKay, uh, coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the '70s, hysterical guy, was in way over his head. They were brutal as an expansion team. I think they lost 26 games in a row before finally winning one. But John McKay, 1970s Tampa Bay Bucks coach, during their epic losing streak uh, in a post game, he said, "Well, we didn't tackle today." But we made up for it by not blocking either. <laughs> uh, Bill Parcells, uh, when asked what he thought of the run and shoot offense, uh, you know the run and shoot offense, right? The old uh, Houston Oilers, Warren Moon. Uh, he said, "If my QB decides to run, I'll shoot him." <laughs> That's probably referring to probably referring to Phil Sims back then. Um, George Rogers, uh, running back for the Saints in the early '80s, had a really good career, actually. He said, I want to rush for 1,000 yards or 1,500 yards, whichever comes first. Uh, I saw that one. I thought, oh, that would be good, but I figured you might have it. Fascinating. Yeah, very interesting. Uh, Dick Butkus, I thought uh, this was pretty hysterical and very fitting for Dick Butkus. I would never set out to hurt anyone deliberately unless it was important, like a league game. (laughs) (laughs) He was an animal. He was an animal. And my last one, I think your your brother will appreciate this one, Marv Levy, who is who is still going strong at like 100 years old. You know, Marv Levy actually jogs every day for 30 minutes. He he actually, he'll jog, tiptoe jog for 30 seconds and, and walk for five minutes. And he'll do that for 30 full minutes. And he does that every day, he says. At 100 years old. Guy looks great. Anyway, love Marv Levy. Marv Levy, when asked uh, if the Bills' next game was a must-win, he said, no, World War II was a must-win. Football is just a game. It's a great quote. There's a lot of good quotes out there. I think the guy broke his leg. Uh, Alex Smith? No, play for the Argonauts. Oh, Joe Joe Theismann. Theismann is Theismann. Yeah. He's yeah. talking about, uh, I'm no, uh, a genius is a Norman Einstein or something like that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, just silly Tyson's. stuff. Guys are hitting the head very often. And yeah, or we get quotes like this. Um, okay. So we are, that's it. We're going to be going out. Now the song we're going out to uh, is Lauren's pick. So we had to go way back uh, to find this American pie by Don McLean. It is a long Great song. song. Um, this has actually probably been banned from strip clubs all around the world because it's too long and the girls don't want to dance for it. <laughs> We're going out to that. Remember, check out for um, all your UC gear needs. Make sure you go to Mega Sports Promotions. Order that stuff up. Christmas is right around the corner. Buy stuff for your loved ones. You buy stuff, you get something made. By all means, tag us in Instagram and Facebook. Let us see you're wearing those colors. We got a couple of uh, prizes for people who uh, who do post that. But make sure you join us on uh, Instagram with at Unsportsmanlike Convo and join our sports discussion on our Facebook group called Brock and Pep's Unsportsmanlike Convo as well. And we are out of here. Have a good night, everybody. So bye-bye, Miss American Pie. Drove my Chevy to the levee, but the levee was dry. 
And them good old boys were drinking whiskey and rye, singing, This'll be the day that I die. This'll be the day that I die. Did you write? 